The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Good morning, everybody. We are in John chapter 6 this morning, starting in verse 16. Uh, If you have one of the Bibles that's laid out around the room, that starts out on page 1069. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. God bless the reading of his word. Um, I love verse 25. I'm just going to mention it really quickly, and then I'm going to move on because it has nothing else to do with what I'm going to be sharing with you. But in verse 25, it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And many times we just hear this phrase and we totally miss the tone in which they probably said this. They just literally roll up, walk up, and they see Jesus standing there forgetting the fact that the lake is 12 miles long and seven miles wide, and that they gave all this detail of like, wait a minute, we saw the disciples get in the boat and leave without Jesus. So there's that detail given. And then Jesus had gone off into the wilderness to pray, and people arrived, and then they left, and they show up. Let me just tell you guys this. Jesus can get where we need him to be when we need him to be there, even if it seems impossible. Can I just say that? I, don't, I can't repeat that because I don't know how it came out of my mouth. But all I can say is, is that wherever you need Jesus, he's there. Let's pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would use me today to bring encouragement to those that believe and that you would also use my words in, in the power of your spirit 
to help those that yet to believe to believe. Um, Father, I desire to see um, your kingdom come and your will be done here. Um, that would impact your kingdom coming and your will be done outside of this building as well. Father, our city's in desperate need of you to be king. Father, we are desperate to know your voice over all the other confusing voices. And so, Father, today we ask that you would do something special in us, that we would not be thinking about others, but we would be thinking about ourselves, and that we would in that say, Jesus, what do you have for me? Father, we want to be the change, changed people um, that brings change to other people. And so, Father, help us to accomplish that today through the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was growing up, um, there was a song um, that was about the B-I-B-L-E, that that's the book for me, I Stand Alone on the Word of God. Is any of you guys familiar with that? Anybody? Somebody? All right. Somebody besides my mom? Yeah, thank you. There's a few of you guys. But here's the thing. This is what I've come to realize now after being a pastor um, in some sort of capacity in the church full-time for about 25 years now. This is what I'm learning. I don't believe in Jesus because the Bible tells me so. I've learned that I believe in Jesus for two reasons. One, there's a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit that I can't explain fully to you today, but the Holy Spirit is involved. There is a Spirit of God. But the second reason why I believe is because people like John took time to write down what they had seen firsthand. We're not just, yes, John's letter is included in the Bible, so I'm kind of like contradicting myself. But a lot of people will go around and just say, well, I believe in God because of the Bible. But that then means that the other people around you that don't believe in the Bible as God's authoritative word can't believe a firsthand testimony. John was doing some diligent work with spending time around Jesus and then figuring out what he needed to write down so that you and I and people around him, people for generations to come, have been able to go to an eyewitness and say, let me tell you what it was like to be with God. And that has brought great encouragement to me on days where I feel very distant from God. That has brought great encouragement to me when I've been able to sit down with other people and say, let me tell you about my experiences with God. Because I have a great example of somebody else that sat down with their experiences with God and began to share it with other people. And so some of you are going to be like, I've heard about Jesus walking on the water to his disciples before. Some of you are like, yes, I know about the feeding of the 5,000. I know about Jesus saying he's the bread of life. But yet we are just as dry and desert feeling in our spirit as we've ever been. And I believe part of the reason for that is, is God doesn't want us just to know facts about him. He wants us to know him. And he wants us to realize that he can come and be a part of this. Um, John, I, part of the reason why I love John, mind you, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm exceptionally biased to Luke as well. Like we spent a lot of time in the gospel of Luke. We spent a lot of time in Luke's second letter to the book of Acts. And do you guys remember how many people Luke wrote his letter to? So yes, one, it starts out with dear Theophilus. Like he wrote his letter to one person that we now all get to benefit from. How many people did he write the letter of Acts to? one person. It was the same as a follow-up letter, just saying to them, look, I want you to understand every account. For those of you that believe in Jesus, that should challenge us. 
does our faith in Jesus mean so much that we would take a diligent effort to tell a friend? Like, we want them to know what we know. What we, know. we want them to, have, to believe in what we've seen and what we've heard because it's been alive in us and they want to be a part of that to be alive in them. And so John is tactical. John actually says later on in the book, and we'll get to it later this year in John chapter 20, he says in verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, which he's talking about John's letter. But But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he's saying all the things that were recorded, was so that you could believe. And then all the things that were recorded is so that you could live life, not just get to heaven when you die. He wants you to have life now. And so what did life now look like for the disciples here? And so here's what I'm finding. In John's gospel, nothing in John's gospel is there by accident. The issue is, is are we taking enough time to read it slowly enough that we're seeing all the things that he has there for you and I. And the problem is, is that most of us in here, I would say 95% or better of us, have no Jewish background understanding. Like we do not know Jewish culture well. We don't know how they were educated well. We don't understand all the idioms or like the colloquialisms of certain regions of the Jewish faith and family and their practices. And so things can be spoken and things can be said. And we're like, okay, that's great. But yet we don't get the rich meaning. It's almost like as if if we're not careful that we'll find ourselves having an opportunity to get on the inside of a conversation, but we remain on the outside because we just haven't taken the time to, let, to ask the questions and let everything sink in. John here in this particular chapter is making it very clear to his readers, his first audience that he was writing to, which is a benefit for us, that Jesus is using the Exodus language out of, out of Egypt as a background for the way that he's showing that he is doing something new in the nation of Israel and his generation. The problem is, is that we may not know what that all means, but if we were Jewish, we would understand the Exodus story fluently. We would know every in and out of the story. We would know every aspect of the plagues that came and everything that they had to pack in order of preparing to leave. They would, we would know everything about the parting of the Red Sea and the songs that they sang on the other side. We would know everything about the wilderness time on the way to the promised land and why it took so long and what God did while they were in the wilderness to maintain their faith. I want you guys to understand this. He didn't just do signs and send them on their way and then they never experienced God again in a powerful way, could you imagine being freed from something and being tossed into the desert and left there in order to be prepared for something else? Jesus is now taking something that was very powerful to the Jewish people and using it as a way of revealing himself to them, um, what I believe in, in, in a very clear and powerful way, which I hope to draw some things from today. But this is the second time in John's letter that he's told us that something is happening around Passover time. He does it three times in his letter. 
The next time that we're going to find him mentioning the Passover is when we get to the day when Jesus came back to Jerusalem, and we call it Palm Sunday. So now we have a moment in John's gospel where he had talked about Jesus going to the temple and turning over the tables. Now he's coming back to the Passover time in and around Jerusalem, and now he's feeding the multitudes. And then he's taking a walk on the water, and then they're asking him to feed them again as a way of showing a sign again. And so what in the world could John be doing as he's talking to them about all of this? Um, I believe that John isn't trying to get us guessing. I think he's trying to draw his early audience into a powerful meaning about what's going on. Because when the Exodus story happened for Israel, they had been bound up for over 400 years in slavery. Like, I don't know if there's many of us in this room that can relate, but I will say this. With as many people as we have from other nations here, I would probably say some of you know what it would feel like to be culturally bound up, physically bound up, where your family for generations has been bound up and having to do something that you don't want to do. The nation of Israel, for nearly 400 years, made bricks. That's all they did. They either were working to produce the materials to make the bricks, they were drying the bricks, they were moving the bricks, or repeat. And so father to son, grandfather to son, great-great-grandfather to great-great-grandson, they all did the same work every single day, and then sometimes they were demanded more, sometimes they had less demanded, but they were literally building the materials to build the empire of Egypt. And they did that year after year after year after year after year, realizing that every year that went by, their status and their society was dropping to where they were basically less than ants in their own community. And then the Exodus story. So imagine you and I being freed from that type of culture and life and experience and then experiencing home ownership, houses of your own, farms of your own, crops of your own, being able to pick out your own clothes and all the experiences that then came to them in that next generation as they stepped into the promised land where, where the harvest was plenty for them. And they even had more than enough to share with other people. You go from barely having anything to having excess to being able to be generous with other people. This is what Jesus is trying to get his audience to draw on was the death-to-life experience that Moses had been represented as bringing the people out of this Exodus time period and drawing on all of that imagery. And so now we find in this particular passage of this story that the nation of Israel needs to be set free again. And Jesus is coming to them first and then to the Gentiles, is which we talked about in some of the other Gospels as we've been through it. And we'll get more to that later on in the Gospel of John. But this long chapter of John is hinging on us understanding as much as we can about what the Passover season of life would have meant for the nation of Israel. So let me touch briefly on this walking on the water just for a moment. The story of Jesus walking on the water can easily be used as a theme for meditation. Some of us right now, we've been trying to discipline ourselves to slow ourselves down and actually have a moment of thoughtful prayer with the Lord in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening or maybe all three or maybe more than that. But we're trying to have moments where we're just like, man, God, I just need to focus on you. Can I just tell you, there is an incredible passage of scripture here that might just need to be the meditation because life 
can throw us a storm in a heartbeat. You set out on the day, and you are not expecting stormy weather at all. Now, we've gotten to the point where, because of the technology of our day, it's really easy for us to open up our phone and look at a 10-day forecast and kind of get an idea that they'll be about 60 to 70% correct, and, and we can kind of plan in that direction. Or you're getting ready to travel. Many of you travel internationally frequently, and you pull up the destination to look at what kind of weather you need to pack for. And generally, it can be very accurate. But when it relates to your emotions and your spirit and your life, there is no forecast. I got a text message from a friend in our church family this week on a Tuesday that, uh, can you please pray? My brother's being rushed into surgery because of a, a, a wound from another surgery, was hemorrhaging. And then 20 minutes later, I got a text, um, would you pray? We're packing. My brother died. So 20 minutes, prayers of intensity. 20 minutes later, sorry, my brother passed away. I'm now heading out of town. And then while they were there participating in the funeral of a brother, they had to lay to rest an aunt. You know, and so I'm sitting here saying, you have no idea what storm is going to come to you this week. Are we in agreement? We can't plan for them. We just have no idea when they're going to come. But I, can I tell you this? The meditation of this is, is that Jesus knows how to get to us in our storms. He knows how to get to us in our storms. Now, yes, it might seem scary for a moment as we begin to meditate on Jesus being present with us. But if we take time to focus and we push through it and we realize it's not a ghost, it's really Jesus, that we can literally invite him in and at some level he's going to get us to a protective cove. Somehow the storm will cease with him. It might not be immediate. It might take a little bit of time. But if you and I allow Jesus to be fully present with us, where we engage with him, we put into practice what we've been taught in praying to him, there is no storm that you and I will find ourselves in that Jesus can't be fully present with us. And there's no place in your life, let me just tell you this, guys, whether it's your own choices or the choices of other people, there is no place that you will ever be where Jesus won't meet you and say, it's okay, it's me, don't be afraid. Some of you just need to hear that this morning. Jesus' words to you and I are, it's me. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. I'm here to be with you. Then the discipline for those of us that are believers in Jesus, is to actually take time to listen for the voice that we're very familiar with. But generally, when the storm comes, we are frantic, doing everything we can to stabilize our situation. And we're slow to call on the name of Jesus. I just feel like that we need to figure out a way of pushing ourselves to be the first name we call out is Jesus. And the first one that we invite in to stabilize what it is that we're doing. All right, let me get to this bread and fish and distribution for a moment. I am very sympathetic to this audience. I can only imagine what it would have been like to have been hungry on a hillside one day after listening to Jesus teach all day long, and then for him to miraculously have food in abundance to where there were even 12 baskets left over, I think I would have been, number one, incredibly satisfied hunger-wise,
but would have been, oh my goodness, can you believe what I just witnessed? So I want to be sensitive. I would probably want to hang out with him to see if he does something else really cool. But the problem is, is that you and I, in many ways, are similar to the audience where God does something for us and then we ask him to do it again because we just want to be enamored by his tricks or the mystery of which he solves issues. And this particular passage speaks to the root of it all. It's we are designed to know Jesus, not just to be able to ask him to do tricks. We're designed to actually be able to spend time with him, to know who he is, and not just to say, well, if you really are real, I know that you did this for John, but would you now do this for me? Because the tendency in us is to not feel like that God has already done it for the we, and now he's got to just do it for me. And so, so much of our culture is self-centered, when so much of God's kingdom language is others-centered, selfless living, laying down of ourselves for the benefit of other people. And generally, we get in trouble with Jesus when we come to Jesus and it is just all selfishness in our relationship, and it's not about the concern for everyone. But I do believe that some of the people were following Jesus because they literally wanted their next meal. They knew that they didn't have food, they got food with Jesus, now it's a new day. If we follow Jesus around, maybe we'll have food the next day because hunger and, and the lack of resources was very common in this first century because Rome was in charge and Rome was making sure they got their share. We don't like our tax structure in Baltimore. The people in first century Jewish culture were very likely paying 60 to 65% of their income in taxes. Could you imagine living in a culture like that? It feels like that in Baltimore. I know it's not that extreme. It does feel like they get a, 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 a disproportionate amount of expense just to be here. But yet what we're finding is, is in this first century, the people that were shocked that Jesus was already on the other side of the lake because they realized the journey they had gone through to get there, they had totally missed the point. They were then looking like, oh, he's like Moses. He's going to be doing these things and he's going to be bringing stuff our way. And they're comparing him to Moses when in actuality, Jesus like, stop comparing me to Moses. You need to compare me to the God that was with Moses. And so for those people out there that think, well, Jesus was just a good teacher. He's just a good prophet. You can't rectify Jesus's words with him just being a prophet when he was like, I'm the God that was actually speaking to the prophets of old. This passage ends climatically with the famous I am saying in the Gospel of John. Um, it's actually in verse 35. Um, I am the bread of life. This is one of the it's so important that it's actually repeated again in verse 48 and verse 51, which we're going to talk a little bit more about next week. But it's also brought back in chapter 8, verse 12, um, I am the light of the world, which goes back to the way that the letter started in the first place. So much of what John's doing is building upon each other. Um, but what Jesus is saying in particular is, is I am concerned about your nourishment I am concerned about the spiritual hunger, the physical hunger that you're experiencing. But until they recognized who Jesus really was, and may I just say it this way, until you and I recognize who Jesus really is, we're going to struggle with hunger. Um, last night, my mom's in town this weekend, which is always a joy. And when she's here, um, 
uh, it's fun to try to find a movie that um, I know that she'll enjoy, that, um, that I will also enjoy. Um, uh, that's that nothing to do with homework. Um, but um, <laughs> but uh, I do love some of those, too. Um, but have any of you guys ever seen the McFarlane USA movie, McFarlane? If you haven't, I do highly recommend it. Um, uh, it's a movie about a um, cross-country team out of an impoverished part of Southern California when cross-country was introduced to high school sports in the late 1980s when I was in middle school. Um, and, uh, and the story of the coach and the journey of these, mostly we, they call them pickers. They're uh, mostly uh, Mexican children that just worked in the fields, so they would work in the fields before school. Um, part of my reason for bringing that into this is in the film, it does a really good job of showing how we can so easily be focused on the wrong things. There's a powerful moment, and I hate to give it away for all of you, but most of you will forget this by the time you see it anyway. Um, but there's a dad to a son, and the dad's responsible for a crew, and you find out that the pickers don't get paid hourly, they get paid by the field. And so whenever a field is done, they would get paid. And so the dad was responsible for a crew that would work a field, and so he mathematically considered the labor of his children into the harvest so that the, the, the payment could come sooner. And so every hour that the kids weren't in the field helping was an hour less that the, the money would come for the family. And the dad was talking to one of his children, and he actually said to his son, or to the son and the coach, is that there are a lot of things in life that are non-essential. And I, it hit me. I'm like, how many times have you and I really thought about what in our life was essential? Because how much are we hungering for that's not essential? How much do we blame God for not satisfying us, but we're craving something that's not essential? Like, God, you're letting me down, but yet he's provided us all the nourishment that we ever could want but we're desiring something that's not necessary. So then we get upset with him because he's not giving us the thing that we want. And then it sounds a lot like a toddler throwing a tantrum, doesn't it? Where it's like, I'm not going to eat my greens. Like, I only eat mac and cheese. Like they're making commercials out of it now. Where like, it's okay for the kid to dictate that cheese has to be in everything, Right. It's so funny how that the, 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 the backstories of some of the ways that are humorous when we're watching a toddler now are like, well, let's just make it mandatory. You know, let's, we get what we want. We don't get what we need, right? And so I believe that a lot of the hungering and the thirsting that John's going to be talking about in the chapters to come as he unfolds this letter and the reveal of the I am is becoming more and more powerful. He's going to be hitting us as well as he was hitting his writers with the fact that we have to crave the things of the kingdom. We can't just crave the things of this world because if we crave the things of this world, it's going to be so anti-kingdom that we're going to get so confused. And he's like, how can you serve two masters? And so we need to make sure that our voice is in that. And so we have to recognize, we have to recognize who Jesus really is. 
and that the bread and the fish that he offers us, he's also offering us something so much deeper, so much more personal that will help us navigate the storms of this life, the temptations of this life, the, the pressures of sin and evil that come after us, and, and us needing to place our deepest needs in the midst of him. I love the prayer in verse 34. I asked, actually asked Josie to put it on the screen. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Could you imagine what this week would look like when the unexpected storm comes to you and your response is, Father, right now I need to experience this bread that you are talking about? We're not coming to him for the extras. We're just saying, God, you promised me that I would be sustained. You promised me that you were gonna bring life to me. You promised that, the, that in you that there was going to be a bread that sustained and I am looking for you in that. Imagine what could happen for you and I in our faith in the way that other people view our faith and understand what it actually feels like for, to be around somebody that believes in Jesus to where you actually stand out or there might actually be like a light in you that draws people to Christ. It's like, what would it look like for you and I to stop in the midst of a storm, realizing that God is with us? He's not sent the storm to make our life miserable. God is not like the boy with the magnifying glass in Toy Story, right? He is not out to disassemble us and to cause us harm and to hurt us. He is actually out to prosper us, to love us, to bring life to us. And if we're not careful, we will let the enemy tell us what the character of God is and not the truth tell us what the character of God is. And Jesus is saying, I am that truth. Look to me and you will see what God looks like. And so our prayer this week has got to be, sir, always give us this bread. Father, always give me this bread. Father, always give me this bread. Let's pray together. Father, for those right now in here that are wanting this bread, Father, I pray that they would know that they just need to ask for it and you will give it to them. So, Father, my prayer, Father, would your spirit lead those that have never uttered those words to say, I believe in you, Jesus, that they would state that belief, that they would put their trust in Christ today. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that have been walking with you for a while, but they found themselves just dry and hungry. Father, would you give them this bread? Would you help them to see what they're craving that's not from you and that they would just crave the things that are from you? Father, we don't want to be distracted by the things that are non-essential. We want to be all about the things that are essential. So Father, would you help us to have eyes to see that? Would you help us to have ears to hear you speaking to us? And would we have the courage to step outside of our culture when we need to and step into the kingdom culture and live a life the way that Jesus would want us to live in this world today? And so, Father, I pray for those right now that are um, needing to be fed. Father, would you please feed them as only you can right now? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.